excited. And you can be seated. We, we began two weeks ago a uh, Bible study on boundaries and the importance of boundaries. And uh, it, it just the more I see it, the more I realize the importance of said boundary. We, we spoke the first night, first Wednesday, uh, uh, that we did this, we just spoke kind of in a general sense. Why boundaries? Why are they important? Last Wednesday night, we, we gathered and we talked about boundaries and ourself. We talked about the boundaries of, of what we watch, the boundaries of what we listen to, the boundaries of what we say. All of those are vitally important. Boundaries of our hands and our actions. Uh, and and we, we pull all of this, there's a lot of Bible verses, but we pull it all from Mark chapter 12 and verse 28 when Jesus answered one of the scribes and said to him, the first of all commandments is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then here's where we are. Thou shalt love the Lord with all of thy heart, say with all my heart, with all thy soul, say with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. Loving the Lord and serving the Lord and living for the Lord needs to encompass those four areas of your life. You need to love Him and serve Him. You need to do so with your heart, with your emotions. And we'll explain that in a little bit. You need to love Him with all of your soul. That is that spiritual part in you that separates you from the animal. It's that spiritual part that nothing shall fulfill. You can fulfill in a sense, your emotions. You can fulfill your strength. You can fulfill your mind. But I promise you, nothing save the Lord and His salvation can fulfill your soul. Uh, you need to love the Lord and serve Him and, and, and use uh, all of your mind. That's the intellect, the knowledge. And you need to do so with all of your strength, your physical body, what you do. And those are so important. At the end of my message last Wednesday night, I, I just kind of threw this out. Have you heard the phrase, and, and you had, most of you had, because you answered it last uh, week, but let's just do it again. You are what you eat. You are what you eat. And I would like to, for the first part of my message, change the tenor of that proverb and say this. You are what you think. Now, I, I know for a moment it may seem a little... Um, motivational speakerish. It may seem as if pastor is just trying to play psychologist. But see, the, the, I've come to realize in this world the importance of the mind and also to understand the war that happens in our mind. Matthew records the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 verse 19. And it says this, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves can break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves can't break through or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now that can be very physical, where your treasure is. If, if your treasure is things and you look at what you have in, in things or monetary, then that's going to be where your heart is. But there's a lot more to that scripture. If you'll let the word of God kind of just per percolate a little bit there, you'll realize that where your treasure is, your heart is. What you think, that's where your heart goes. What you dwell on, that's where your heart goes. Where you allow yourself to spend all of your time, that's where your heart goes. 
Which is why I believe Paul gives us this, and this is a verse that we, we don't read a whole lot, but it's vitally important. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Listen to me. Not everything is sin. Not everything is going to send you to hell, but there is everything can send you to hell, if you will. You've got to make sure that you know the boundaries, moderation. They may not be a sin, but they can be a weight. In fact, I would go so far just to tell you, let me show you the gamut of this. You can work yourself out of your salvation. You can find that job that you've been wanting and you can work that job and you can quit coming to church and you can put all of your time and effort in that job and jobs are good. I promise you jobs are good. Ask someone that hasn't had a job or someone that's lost a job. They'll tell you, I'm glad I have a job now. But you can take something that is good, even a gift from the Lord, and you can let it consume you and you can lose your soul, which is why Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and loses his soul? Uh, you, you, can, you, you can have hobbies. I love hobbies. I love fishing. I love hunting. I love tinkering on things. But those can, while those are not sinful, at least the hobbies I mentioned, you can have a sinful hobby, I guess, but most hobbies are not sinful. But, but you can allow your hobby to dominate your life and all of a sudden your hobbies and your, your, your clubs and everything you want to do starts eating in on your spiritual time and, and now instead of going to church on Sunday, you go do your hobby or instead of spending some time in, dis, in discipline, spiritual disciplines, reading the Bible, you're reading everything else and you can find yourself in your hobby backslid. I've seen men of God that have taken the ministry, not God, because you cannot have too much of God, but I have seen men of God take the ministry and lose their family because there was no moderation. It is important that you have moderation and learn the boundaries thereof. But I want to really focus for the first little bit on the boundaries of your mind. For it's said that that Philippians chapter 4 and, and verse 9, I mean Philippians chapter 4 and, and verse uh, 4, or I'm sorry, verse 6, apologize, verse 6, be careful for nothing, that word careful means anxious, don't, don't, don't be anxious about anything, don't worry if you will, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts, your emotions, and your mind, your intellect, through Jesus Christ. Now watch this. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. The understanding there is let that be what consumes your thoughts and not the opposite. True. That's truth, honest, those are honorable things, just, things that are holy and righteous and innocent, pure, clean, modest, perfect, chaste, lovely. That's things that are acceptable, of a good report, virtue, and praise. It's important that you think on those things. Paul goes on, or I'm sorry, Peter goes on to say, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end of grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust of your ignorance, but as he that hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it's written, be ye holy, for I am holy. That word gird up, it, it means to gather together. Now, in, in, in this understanding... Uh, if you can take yourself back to uh, biblical times and you, you understand the clothing that they would have worn, they would have worn a type, the men, men and women alike, although they were very different uh, as far as styling, but they wore a, a robe and it, it was a flowing robe. And if you were going to go out and work in the garden or if you were going to go out and jump on a horse and ride, if, it, it, men, if, if you were going to go fight in battle, it's sometimes hard to do that with that flowing robe. And so the men were, were, were told, they were allowed, they could gird up their loins. And what that meant was they would, they would reach behind them and grab the back hem of that robe and they would bring it up through their legs and they would tuck it in to their belt and it would form a, almost like a pair of pants or... or, or uh, pantaloons and and then it was called girding up and what it meant was to get ready to bring everything so it's not tripping you up bring it all in where it's not going to get in your way and so Peter pulls from that understanding and he said gird up the loins of your mind I am convinced that our minds are the greatest enemy and detriment to our walk with God. For our minds have a tendency of just going everywhere. How many times have you been walking or, or doing something and a thought just pops in your mind? You ever just, I, I mean, maybe not raise your hand. That way no one thinks you're a psychopath. But um, have you ever, and I'm not saying, I mean, sure, we'll talk about anger in a moment. I'm not talking about a, just a, you know, you, you get that anger and, and that anger is breeding. That's a whole other thing. But if you've ever been just driving, please don't raise your hand and, and don't assume I've done this, maybe. Uh, but have you ever just been driving like, what if I just killed him right now? Have you ever been driving and all of a sudden a joke you would never repeat in public just pops in your head? You weren't thinking about anything? All of a sudden your mind plays a little video in your head and, and, and if people could see what was playing in your head they, they would be horrified by the, the trash or the filth. You weren't dwelling on it. There was nothing that seemed to uh, pr uh, uh, you know, project it into your consciousness. Your mind has this ability to just pop. Paul says you've got to learn to control those thoughts. You've got to learn to gird up the loins of your mind. Now, I will tell you that your mind, although there is a, a sense of, of it can make stuff up, the way that our minds work is our minds usually are not making something up that it has never seen, experienced, or have knowledge of. Someone said you can't step into the same river twice, and I've used that many times. It's always flowing, you know, so you, you, it's new things. Another old parable or proverb, and I have no idea where it came from, and I really don't, I mean, I understand what it means. I just don't know who came up with it and why, but it says you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop that bird from building a nest in your hair. What that means is sometimes we can't stop the thought that just flows through, but we can be in control of does that thought take residence in my mind? Do I, do I, I, I spend time dwelling over that thought. But let me, let me just help you out. And, and 
I, 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 I can speak from, from experience, and I know you can as well. You cannot unsee, you cannot unhear, you cannot unlearn, you cannot unspeak, and you cannot undo what your mind leads us to do. Men, I promise you, most of men that, that, that and, 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 and I, I may be speaking in generalities, but I've, I've been around the block. Most men, you've experienced a moment where you saw something you were never supposed to see. It was something lewd, it was something dirty, it was something unclean, it was something unchaste, and you can't ever unsee it. You might go 30 years and have never dwelt on that and something triggers that thought and boom, it's right there. It is so important. That is why boundaries of what we listen to, what we see, what we hear, what we say, and what we do, that's why those boundaries are important. You and I need filters that guard our eyes, our ears, our mouth, what we do. Because if we're not careful, we have put things within that supercomputer we call our brain and that brain is not our friend. We put things up there and, and, and at the moment that we least expect it, that old computer up there spins and accesses a deep thought. And I don't mean a smart thought, but I'm talking about one you've repressed, one you've tried to get rid of, and that brain seemingly unbiddingly pulls it out and it's there. Peter understood that and Peter said, you've got to learn to control your mind. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about the brain. I, I am not by any stretch a psychologist or a science major, but I do like to read, and I read an article by Sharon Miller. And it was very, very interesting. And, and as I, I've, I've read this, I've raised or, or am raising, if you will, two children, and now I've got another little one, and I can see this all afresh. You see, this brain that you and I have, it's, it's amazing. When you learn something new, your brain changes. Your brain changes its physical nature and it changes a chemical nature inside your brain. And as that new information is stored, it creates new neural pathways and it strengthens old ones. And I'm pulling this from the article I read by this Sharon uh, Miller. And, and it's in there. Let me, let me try to give you a really easy way to understand this. Baby Zeke right now, I, I wish I could just know what's in his mind because he just kind of stares at you and you, you feed him the bottle and, and I'd love to know what's going on in his mind. But right now when that baby's born, they have a very limited understanding of the world. They, they have heard some things. They tell you that babies can hear in the womb. And so when they are born, they can recognize their mother's voice or other things that were there because they heard it in the womb. But everything that, that Zeke sees right now is new to him. There will be a moment in his life when, when our little dog, Tinker, our little dog is going to run by and something is going to click. And he's going, we're going we're gonna to say, we're going to say, Zeke, dog. And, and when he gets to that point, and it doesn't, maybe one year old, maybe a little bit longer, Zeke, is there's this neural pathway that's going to go, and this is what it's going to say. Four-legged, hairy creature is dog. Boom. And that pathway is connected. Later on, we're going to go to somebody else's house, because it sure won't be mine, because I hate cats, but we're going to go to somebody else's house that has a cat. 
And because that pathway is there, Zeke is going to process. He's going to say, four-legged, hairy creature, dog. You ever seen kids do that? Everything's a dog. Everything's a cow. And you're going to say, no, Zeke, that's a cat. Somewhere in the incredible processes of Zeke's mind, he's going to start to differentiate. And another neural pathway is connected. Cats have pointy ears. Cats are mean. Cats are evil. Cats are of the devil. I'm sorry. Uh, cats are, you know, they purr. You know, cats, when you rub them, they arch their back. You know, he's going to begin to process these. And they begin to get strengthened. And they begin to get built up. It's pathway. See, this is what's very interesting about the mind. The mind works by those neural pathways. And so because of that, the more you walk down that path, the more you use that neural pathway, the more strengthening it becomes. It, it's almost like a rut that goes there. How many of you took a foreign language in school? Okay. Sister Miller, can you still speak that foreign language? No. Brother Orr, do you still use that foreign language that you learned? No. Here's why. You did really good, probably, you did really good in school for those one, two, three, or four years that you were there, and in that class they were using it, and you got it, but as soon as you left that class, you didn't know anybody that spoke that language. And you didn't practice it. And so because of that, that neural pathway in your mind becomes unused, and it grows up, and, and, and you kind of forget about it. Now, every once in a while, it'll come back to you, because remember, the mind can pull something, but you don't use it. But the reason you speak English is because that's the language that you use all the time. And it's there. You don't have to think about it. The more you use that neural pathway, the stronger they become. And, and, and uh, whereas the others will weaken with lack of use. And this is why many scientists uh, will say this is why you forget things. You forget it because you, it's literally, if you can imagine walking, you lost the trail to that thing. You don't know how to get there anymore because it's been a long time since you used it. You say, Pastor, what does all of that mean? Well, what it means is in your mind, the things that you dwell on, the things that are constantly in front of you, the things that allow you to make a very strong neural connection are the things that are right there, easy to get to, it's always there, whereas the things you don't use become cloudy and forgotten. Now, in this article, and I don't have time to go through it all, but in this article, this lady spends a lot of time talking about the way lust and pornography and the way that, that our society has over-sexualized uh, nature and women and all of that, how it literally has turned the brains of our men into pathways that they ought not be using. And, and it has pornography has wrecked uh, 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 entire just demographics because it's created pathways that God never intended. That women are supposed to look like that and act like that and this happens and it isn't there. But, but in this, I want you to understand that the brain, that is why. Now, now you see, Paul didn't have all that, that scientific knowledge that I know of, okay? 
in, in Paul's life, they didn't have MRIs. They didn't have all those, those brain scans where you can put that whole network of, of brains, of, of uh, uh, electrodes on the brain, and, and they can see it fire when you think of certain thoughts. Paul didn't have that, but what Paul did have was the unction of the Holy Ghost. And, and God spoke to Paul way back then before we understood how the brain worked, and he said, finally, brothers, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable and just, and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent if they're worthy of prayers praise think on those things get that firmly in your mind walk that path every day make that path so rutted you'll never forget it God knows how our our brains work and so what happens is in our life because we do not gird up the loins of our mind We do not put boundaries on what we watch and see and read and listen to and participate in. Because of that, we have created unholy pathways to unholy things that cause the brain to start throwing them in front of us. And as as we think, we tend to do. Lust is a brain activity. That's, and, and, and lust, a lot of times we use lust in terms of, spiritual, of, of sexual things. But, but it was, it was uh, Paul, I believe it was, that said, uh, uh, and, and I'm, I know that's wrong, but anyway, let's do the Bible verse. Uh, lust, when it hath conceived, bringeth forth sin, and sin bringeth forth death when it's finished. So, so lust is not always sexual. Lust can be anything. Lust is the thought It's the brain, it's the pathway. If you keep putting a pathway in your mind of unholy things, it will not be long before you act on that unholy thing. But for anybody here that would say, well, I don't ever, I'm never going to act on it, so it's okay if every once in a while I kind of think about it. Absolutely not. In fact, I would use what Paul said, God forbid. Jesus said if a man looks on a woman and thinks in his mind, He's already committed the sin. So what we think is important. What are you dwelling on? What are you dwelling on? Now I could take this so many ways and I'm hesitant to belabor the point because I need to go a few other places. But but just understand, what are you constantly dwelling on in your mind? Now there there are logical things that happen. If you've had a, a tragedy or if you're in a very stressful moment, maybe there's a trial or a, or, a, or a situation in your life, absolutely it tends to consume your thoughts. I, I, I understand that. But let me give you a really good, and this is what I do. Bible says gird up the loins of your mind. Let me, let me give you a really good test that, remember, not everything is sinful, but everything can be a weight. Everybody, under, everybody with me? On Tuesday night when you come to pray, and by the way, just as a pastoral thing, we need more of you to come on Tuesday nights and pray. We give you a ladies' prayer. We give you a men's prayer. We give you a family prayer. Surely one of those you can find to come. But when you come on Tuesday night and pray, and you've been at work and and life is flying by, and you kneel down and pray, and there's not a whole lot of craziness going on, and it's just you and God and your thoughts, where does your mind go? 
can I, can I be honest? Can, I mean, I'm, I am going to be honest because that's the only thing I can be, but can I just be transparent with you? If I kneel down and pray and, and the only thing in my mind is the bass I want to catch, y'all are laughing at me, but y'all do it too. Then I need to gird up the loins of my mind. If I kneel down to pray and all I can think about is the deer I want to go get out, or the car, or the golf thing, you know, the golf game, or, or my job, if that's the only thing that I can think, and I can't even hardly pray because that's there, you need to gird up the loins of your mind. That's an easy way to see where you're at. Now, Sunday night, 5.30, I came in here and I was praying, uh, and, and I, I always, I mean, I have prayed for years, Lord, help me gird up the loins of my mind. Another verse in the Bible says that we need to bring every thought into captivity. And, and I, I, I prayed, as I do almost every service, almost every time that I kneel to pray, I will say that, Lord, help me gird up the loins of my mind. Lord, help me, help me bring those thoughts into captivity. But it was this Sunday night, I was kneeling right here, and I felt the Lord speak to me. It was, you know, obviously just an impression, if you will. But I felt the Lord speak to me, and he said, Brandon, I cannot gird up the loins of your mind, and I cannot bring those thoughts into captivity. You have to do it. Think sometimes we think God's going to snap his fingers and all those neural pathways that we have walked back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and spent all of that time on, he's just going to erase them. And that's not how it works. He said, Brandon, what you're going to have to learn to do is you're going to have to learn to start starving some of those neural pathways. Now, now let me just help you out. If you are consistently thinking about lustful things and sinful things, then that's going to send you to hell right now. You better just stop it right now. But if you're thinking about fishing, now again, fishing's not sinful. I'm just using me as an example. You can put whatever you think about. I'm talking about the things that are not inherently sinful. If that's what you're constantly on, then you need to take a fast and start starving that neural pathway and say, God, I'm going to gird up the loins of my mind for this week, for this day, for whatever time frame you need, I am not going to walk that path. I'm not going to go to that website. I'm not going to go get to my Bassmasters magazine. I'm not going to go to that Bassmasters forum. I'm not, I may not even go fishing this week because I've got to gird up the loins of my mind. Now, in this day and age, with the saturation of, of phones and Facebook and media and all of these electronic devices and everything, I'm going to tell you it is absolutely important. Or, 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 or imperative that you and I start starving those neural pathways and say, God, it's been too long since I walked into your word. It's been too long since I knelt down and really prayed. And so, God, that pathway of your word and that pathway of prayer, it's been overgrown, and I'm kind of, to be honest, having a hard time finding it. But I can find that, 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 that fishing spot and I can find that, that idea and I can find this and that. Lord, I've got to starve that because here's the only way that you can change the way you think. Quit going there. So going back to, to Sharon Miller's uh, thing, talking about, and again, she 
she spent a lot of time in her article talking about lust and pornography and the way it affects the man's brains and the way it affects the, the men and their relationship to their wife or their girlfriend or, or women in general. This is what she said. The only way that you can change that is you have to stop walking that path. Got to stop looking at the pornography. I'm just using her example. Got to stop looking at pornography. Got to stop looking at that, those ladies in a subjective manner. And you've got to starve that out. And she said, if you can starve that out, you can retrain your brain to think right. Now that's a, that's a secular scientist and, and, and psychologist. Jesus said it best. Think, hone these things. I think I have spent enough time. I think you've got it. And so I'm just going to ask you one quick question. What are you thinking on? What are you dwelling on? That's going to be your answer. And those boundaries, and I have hit all over it, so I, I'm not going to take time to read all the notes that I'm going to, but not only do you need to have boundaries to your mind, you need to have boundaries to your emotions. Again, that love and lust, love is a good emotion. Lust walks similar pathways of lust, but lust takes you in a wrong direction. There's a lot of people that say, well, it's love. No, it's not. It's lust. And, and while it seems the same, and, and it's not. The devil is really good at giving you just enough of the real to make you think you're okay. But in doing so, you're absolutely wrong. You've got to have boundaries to your emotions. Proverbs, and let me read these, I mean, as quickly as I can. Proverbs 6 says, to keep thee from the evil woman and from the flattery of the tongue of the strange woman, lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. And, and, and uh, it says, can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can you walk on hot coals and his feet not be burned? What he was saying was, you can't play around when it comes to the things of lust. Again, Matthew 5, if you look on a woman to, woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in her heart. It's the emotions Galatians 5.16 says, if you walk in the Spirit, remember those neural pathways, if you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. James, and that's where I was trying to get at, and I apologize to give it to, to Paul, but James said, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed, and when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. John said, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. The world passeth away, and the lust thereever, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. It's important. Remember, you can't, and we're going to talk about this at another time, but remember, you can't step into that same river twice. That's why relationships outside of marriage need boundaries. Love outside of marriage is very simple. It's lust. There's no other way around it. You can't play with it. How do you guard yourself from falling into those things? Boundaries. Boundaries says you don't touch, you don't look, you don't think, you don't save. And it was not Paul just spouting off some random, you know, theological talk. Paul was trying to save someone from a disastrous fall into sin. Anger. 
anger. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There it is again. Put on the new man. Put away lying. Speak every man truth to his neighbor. Be angry and sin not. We need to have boundaries to our emotions and say it's okay to get angry about some things, but I have a limit to how far I can go. Because if I'm not careful, I'll start walking down a path that I'll not never walk down. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you were sealed into the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You need to have boundaries around your emotions. I'm trying to hurry. i got three more pages. What you feed your mind plays into everything else that you have. It sounds trite, but it's very, very important. So at the risk of me not being very theological, at the risk of right now being so simple that you tend to turn me off, if you are going through a depressive state in your life, it's probably best that you don't start listening to music that's depressing. When you are going through a breakup, especially young people, now I'm, I'm, I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek. I know y'all don't listen to country music. Y'all listen to other stuff, and I don't even understand it, but whatever. But when I was a young person, you'd go through a breakup, and not that I drunk, but you'd hear old Hank Williams. There's a tear in my beer because I'm crying over you, dear. He goes on to say, I've drank 19 beers to get you off my mind. I'm just going to sit here on this bar until I'm petrified. It's funny. But I could put any genre of music, I could put any genre of anything. It, it, we, we tend to, we let our emotions run unchecked. And when our emotions run unchecked, they rule us. And we do things we would have never done because our emotions took control. Are there sad things in life? Yes. Are there angry and mad and, and, and hateful things in life that are going to happen? Yes. But you and I have the power of God within us. And sometimes we say, look, I know I'm sad. But as we sung at the beginning, blessed be the name of the Lord. If he gives or if he takes away, I'm not going to go turn the radio on and sit there and cry. I'm not going to take a depressive. I'm not going to take a, a, a narcotic. I'm not going to drink myself silly. Sometimes you just got to think yourself. Self happy. David Ekman said this emotions do not authenticate truth. Emotions cannot verify whether or not the resurrection of Christ or any other historical or theological reality happened. You can't say because of how you feel that something is right or not, because all of us have had emotions that we thought was real and we ended up it wasn't true. However, emotions do authenticate our understanding of the truth. And he says, a happy heart is the greatest evidence of an apprehension of a spiritual truth. And so, just, just help me out. You me, one of the greatest ways I can tell whether someone has truly, is truly walking with God is are they joyful and happy? 
Bible says it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to be bubbly and, 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 you know, hit their thumb with a hammer and just laugh abhorrently and say, oh, that's so great. That's not what I'm talking about. But I can watch someone as they walk through life, and I can watch their emotions, and I can tell you whether or not they're saved. See, David Ekman goes on to say, in the Bible, truth is supposed to strike the life with a positive emotional force. Truth without effect is an unknown within Scripture. You ever heard someone say, if you're happy, why don't you tell your face? You ever heard people talk like that? Some of you ain't thought that and you're going, hmm, I may need to practice that right now. <laughs> you know, it, it sounds funny, but and, and while it sounds like, uh, it, it sounds like, you know, little psychological tidbits, there is so much truth to that. If you have God living inside of you, the creator of all mankind living inside of you, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the ones that can do the one that can do anything, it ought to allow you to walk through life a little bit differently than the one who has nothing. See, and, and again, I'm pulling from this from an article, uh, these next few points, I'm pulling from something that David Ekman, David Ekman had wrote. You, you've got to recognize, and listen carefully, because this is so important. We, we, tend to, we tend to, in this day and age, stop thinking that emotions and, and, and mental health is spiritual. And, and so we, we've, we just kind of throw that out, and we don't talk about it in the church. We don't talk about mental health in the church. But it is absolutely true. David, David Ekman said this, we have to recognize or differentiate what is going on within our emotional life and the management of our appetites. Let me tell it to you like this, okay? If, if you are in a depressive state, you are depressed, even clinically depressed, the doctor wants to give you a bunch of medicine. If you are in a depressive state, before you go take medicine, before you go to a counselor, before you go to a psychologist, before you do any of that, you need to look at what you're putting in your life. What are you thinking about? What movies are you watching? What books are you reading? Who are you talking to? Who are you hanging around? Who is speaking into your life? Because listen, if you don't control what goes in your life, there's not enough medicine and lithium in this world that can change the way you feel. Now if you step back and you say I am reading my Bible and I am going to church and I am praying and I've got some counsel and I'm listening right and I'm doing everything I know to do and I'm still struggling, then that's the moment you can say, well then I can go talk to a counselor. I can go talk to a psychologist. Maybe there's a chemical imbalance. But it first starts, you better watch what is going on in your emotions and in your appetite. The second thing you need to do, and Paul said it best. Paul said, he, he likes to use that, that word reckon, I reckon. you got to reckon on how God views you. Listen to me, somebody. Quit letting your imagination run amok. 
Quit thinking that everybody hates you. Quit thinking that everybody is, is, is against you. Quit thinking that nobody likes you. Do you understand there is a God who said, I loved you so much that I left my throne and I came down here to earth and I died for you. And friend, if that don't give you something in your life, then I don't know what else will. Will man fail you? Absolutely. Will family fail you? Absolutely. But God never fails. You need to just reckon that God loves you. You need to just come to this understanding that God cares for me and there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God nor height, nor depth, nor width, nor angels, nor principalities, nor demons, nor anything in this world. You have to set your minds on things above. Romans 8, Colossians 3 got to set your mind on the things above. You've got to control your thinking. Whatsoever things are pure, true, holy, wholesome, think on these things. The opposite, whatever things are evil and hateful and lustful and bad and sinful, stop thinking on those things. When you get to reckoning, when you get to just kind of making up your mind, you start looking at God rather than your fleshly appetites. Instead of saying, I'm going to do whatever my mind and whatever my, my, my old flesh wants to do, I'm going to surrender that to God and I'm going to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Sadly, David Ekman says, our appetites far too many times have more impact on us than what God does. And by reckoning, in fact, I'm going to turn there. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It's what we've already read there. I just wanted to turn it again because I like it in my Bible. You control your memories. All of us have things in our life that we hate. It could be a, a, a sinful moment, it could be a, a abuse, it could be a hurt, it could be a loss. We all have those things. And while we can't forget those things, you're never going to walk away from that. You can reckon. You can decide they don't define who I am. If your dad left you, and you didn't understand what that love was, while it had a hand in building you and forming you, the Bible says when you received His Spirit, you were a new creature in Christ Jesus. See, when you begin to realize the depth of that transformation, we like to say that, oh, God saved me from my sin. He did. But that new creature means... He saved you from your past. He saved you from your hurts. He saves you from your depression. He saves you from all of your anxiety. He takes all of those things. Paul said, sometimes I just got to slip back and say, I reckon he did a work in me. Brother Perriman, when you were preaching Sunday night, I, I guess I had never let myself think like that. 
don't you know there had to be moments in Paul's life post-salvation that after a, a Sunday night service where man he had preached the pain off the walls and everybody leaves and he's alone in his motel room that that old devil and that old mind starts flipping and he saw Stephen's broken and bruised body. And that old devil said, Paul, ain't a chance God loves you. I mean, you sat there and let one of his greatest disciples die. Paul started seeing all the families he broke up and put into prison. And, and it starts off all going there. Brother Perryman, thank you for preaching like that. It just, it, it's affected me all this week. That's why Paul said, I reckon that even when I had done despite to God, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. And so, in your life, we, we spent time talking, and I want to invite you to stand. In your life, we've spent a lot of time tonight, we talked about your mind. The, the last half, and probably not even a half, but we talked about your emotions. I asked you this, I asked you earlier, one of the great ways to see about your mind is, is get into a quiet spot, and prayers ought to be a good quiet spot. Get into a quiet spot and find out what keeps coming into your mind, and that will tell you what neural pathway you, you tend to use a lot. But let me give you another just incredibly simple way to look at, at your emotions. I want you to, to, to look back over today or, or last week or maybe even a month. Make, it needs to be very recent, okay? Today, this week, maybe a month. Don't, don't go back any farther, just that, that close. What have been your primary emotions? If I had to, if I had to tell you to go down and graph, and, and, and if I told you that in this this day you, you were awake for for you know 16 hours or so, I want you to tell me how many hours and how many minutes. Tell me your emotions. Some of you, if you started doing that, and, and I've I've talked with people, you start doing that, and man, depression would be just overwhelming. Or anxiety would eat them up, or anger, or hatred. Or even lust. But I would like to tell you today that the Bible teaches us that righteousness, joy, and peace, that's what you get in the Holy Ghost. Love is what you get in the Holy Ghost. If you have God's Spirit inside of you, and if you are walking with Him and living for Him, those ought to be the primary emotions in your life. Will there be times of sadness? Absolutely. Will there be times of anger? Oh, sure. Will there even be those moments that lust pops in? Yes. But I look back and I say, but no. The primary emotion was love, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. That's how you learn to control your emotions. I feel the presence of God here. I felt it all this week as I kind of perused and my mind went over this I want us just right where you are I want you just to close your eyes and I want you to let the God 
that I've been preaching about, Jesus Christ begin to speak to you. Because you have heard it. We've had some laughs. We've had some fun. But you have heard the word of God and now you need to apply that to your life. And so now you need to take it and put it on. Where does it fit? Where did it rub you? Where did you give that nervous laugh because I got a little too close to home in what I was saying through God's presence? I want you to let God speak to you right now in the name of Jesus.